Welcome to lucky episode 13 of the Your Kids Next Read podcast, in which we talk about books and reading for kids of all ages. I'm Alison Tate, author of Middle Grade Adventure Series, The Mapmaker Chronicles, The Adaban Cipher, and my latest, The Maven and Reeve Mystery Series. And I'm here with my co-host, the unflappable Megan Daly, celebrity teacher librarian, blogger at Children's Books Daily, and author of Raising Readers, How to Nurture a Child's Love of Books. Megan and I, along with our good friend, author Alison Rushby, are founders of the Your Kids Next Read community on Facebook. Search for Your Kids Next Read there to join us. So, Megan, talk us through the highlights in the land of Megan this week. I'm just going to talk you through the highlights of my morning, Al. I I mean, look, to be fair, I'm sitting here thinking I'm a little bit of a food wally because I've just made my Chemex coffee uh, with my new coffee scales and timer from my uh, little brother and I am eating my dad's no-need sourdough studded with walnuts, slathered with butter from Tomarup Dairy and honeycomb from the beekeeper. So, you know, I mean... I'm a bit of a food wally. Um, but that's been the highlight of my morning. Well, I can see why. When yeah. you look at my offering of Vegemite toast, mind you, I do have a new espresso. Like for after 10 years, I've got a new espresso maker. I've got Ooh, a smeg That's Smeg-ish. so exciting. Oh, my gosh, I'm jealous. Well, I saw them like, you know, like we're going into the minutiae of our lives here, people. But I um. I saw them on a ridiculous special at you know on one of the from one of the online retailers and I've got a new kitchen. Bob's your uncle. Yeah, well I've got a new kitchen and I thought, you know what this kitchen needs? It needs its own <laughs> coffee maker. So it does. yeah, so I've stepped up from the stovetop. Oh, and that was the other reason. Um, the new kitchen has an induction stove arrangement, cooktop thing, and um, and so all of my old stovetop uh, coffee makers wouldn't work. So, you no. know, drastic measures were called for. It's it's problematic and one does need coffee. Yeah. I um yeah, I'm I'm quite liking my Chemex coffee situation, but it is a little bit, you know, hipster when I'm so not a hipster. But my dad <laughs> is like the family baker. He has been making no need sourdough for literally for donkey's years. He follows there's a guy, a chef or a baker in New York called Jim Lay who owns Sullivan Street Bakery. And dad has been following his method of no need bread. And I'll link the book, the his Jim Lay's book about no need sourdough in the show notes. But dad's been making this amazing sourdough for donkey's years now. And all the grandkids, when they go around, they make sourdough with him and then they come home with these fabulous loaves. He, he's even got the fancy thing you put on the top to make I don't know, like it just makes it look fancy, like it's come out of an actual bakery. So it's very exciting. This is very impressive. Like I, I have to say that last year, um, you know, in the big lockdown, as opposed mm-hmm. to the other lockdowns which we are currently experiencing here in Australia, um, I did I did jump on the sourdough band. You dabbled. I dabbled in the sourdough and all it gave me was a great appreciation for people who actually do make sourdough well and mm-hmm. I also understood at that point, why it was generally $6.50 to $7 a loaf. Because there is so much time involved in it. So much time, yeah. And that's why, so my really dear friend and teach librarian Mel Kruger has the whole sourdough starter. She feeds this little thing like it's a baby. She makes the most amazing sourdough crackers that I cannot stop eating when I'm at her house. Oh, they're so good. Oh, they're amazing. But my dad does this, and for anyone who is in lockdown at the moment, just search the no-need sourdough because – 
Um, I just love the way Dad has got this technique of it's not quite as labour intensive, I don't think, as traditional sourdough, but it's, oh, my gosh, he has nailed it. I mean, for a professor of violent extremism, he could segue into, you know, a bit of uh, sourdough cooking classes, I reckon. <laughs> Maybe we can get him, to get him up and running on a YouTube channel. <laughs> that would work beautifully. Do you know, I just I have to confess too that um, my – Let's just say that I look, I felt like the sourdough starter was like a Tamagotchi, you know, and, <laughs> and I was never very good with those. And I realised that it was probably a, like a miracle that my children survived, you know, as long as they did without, you know, when I when I was solely responsible for feeding them because I, I just kept forgetting to feed the sourdough <laughs> starter. And I'd go, I'd go to the fridge and go, oh, no, there goes another like one. I feel like a Tamagotchi. Well, I am. Um, I'm. I'm in my new house. Um, those who are playing along at home will know that the saga of Al's move has been long and painful. Um, but I have moved in. I have my Wi-Fi. I'm. I'm sort of settling back in. I've got two weeks until the wolf's howl, which is my new Maven and Reeve mystery, hits the shelves. So I. I'm just having to kind of catch up. No, I mean, honestly, mm. the emails that I had to deal with once I finally got my Wi-Fi back up and running was were quite extraordinary. So I, um, I'm in the process of planning that. I've got a very exciting event that I'm planning for kids um, in the Your Kids Next Read group. Uh, it's going to be aimed at kids. Um, so if you you have sort of, you know, children who would be interested in attending an author talk and a Q&A session and whatever else I come up with, I haven't quite worked out what it's going to be yet, um, save the date, 10th of August, and keep an eye out in your Kids Next Read community on Facebook for details. Um, disappointingly, I've also been involved in having to postpone the Shoalhaven Readers and Writers Festival. Um, if you've listened to the last couple of episodes, you'll know how incredibly excited that I was about that event occurring on the 30th of July. But unfortunately, we've had to, you know, given the current circumstances, we've had to postpone that. So stay tuned. We will have a new date soon, hopefully. Mm. We live in these times. We do indeed live in these times. But in the meantime, let's talk about some exciting things, which uh, let's, well, that means we have to start talking about books because, you know, the time has come. Let's talk about your book mail this week. Yeah, okay. Well, I have got three books that I'm going to talk to you about today. The first one is Enough Love by Maggie Hutchins, illustrated by Evie Barrow, and they are the fabulous team behind a book that I really enjoyed last year called I Saw Pete and Pete Saw Me. And this one um, is absolutely gorgeous. I'll read you the blurb on the back. Willow Willa had one dad, one mum, one home and a bird, and that was enough. So when Willa's parents split up, she's pretty sad, but at least they are still all hers until dad meets Kevin and Willa's family starts to grow and keeps on growing. When will enough be enough? Or is there always room for more love? Now, oh my gosh, I loved this. Um, I am also in a blended family, so this is one that spoke uh, very personally to me, but it's the most beautiful book about um, family changes and how there's always enough love to go around. It reaches this gorgeous crescendo in the middle of the book where Willa shouts at her mother, aren't I enough? Because she's just sick of her family kind of growing and growing. But the mum has this beautiful reply about there being enough love to always go around. And I would say from personal experience that the heart can expand. And um, I just really enjoyed this book. It's one that I'm certainly going to be reading a lot at school. 
and probably gifting to small people in my life. So it's a picture book. It's aimed at a lower primary to middle primary audience. Really enjoyed that one. And it's by Affirm Press. The next one that I've got um, is The Story of Australia by Don Watson. Now, this one is by Black Ink and it is the most beautiful publication, Al Tate. It is Oh, my gosh. It's hardcover. It has delicious end papers. It is bright blue, black, and this kind of mustardy yellow, terribly on trend. Um, and it's really giftable, um, but also I would say a very, very good school text. Um, it is, I believe, an, a reprint Um it's Don Watson wrote of 20 years ago, The Story of Australia, and then this one has been, this new edition um, has been given a new life, a new target demographic, and a new subtitle, which is for the young and the curious. And it's really lovely. Um, the text is broken up into 13 sections, which are presented chronologically. So it starts with, I was going to say, is it ancient Australia? Yes, it is. Ancient Australia and then Aboriginal Australia. And it comes right up to the 1990s and present. So from um, from invasion of the British, it then breaks the times up into about 30-year periods. And I'm really pleased to say that Watson's coverage of British invasion and colonisation really um, centres on the Aboriginal narrative rather than romanticising the European. Um, I've just done a really big cull of um, that sort of book in my new library and, um, you know, it's really interesting to see the way we are now should have been always looking at history, but it's really great to see that we, well, I hope in school libraries we're really looking carefully at our collections in Australian history. And this is certainly one, the story of Australia, that I would will be adding to my school library and would encourage all school librarians to have a look at and also families. Um, it's aimed at a upper primary, lower secondary audience, or I think would also be a really good gift for people who um, want to know a little bit more about Australia. As I said, it's a really beautiful production and yeah, absolutely great one, beautifully designed. I'm I'm thinking we might see that one on some shortlist next year for book design. Fantastic. Um, just yeah, before you really move cool. on, just before we move on from that too, um, I just wanted to I wanted to thank Emma Hughes who uh, sent us an email during the week. Um, as you said that as I talked about it, I thought please mention that out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was something that we were going to talk about on this episode anyway. Um, this is kind of like I have a small confession to make that. Megan and I had to pre-record a couple of our um, most recent episodes because I was in the process of moving. Um, so this is the first chance that we've really had to address this. But um, if you listen to episode seven, where we talked about true stories for kids, we mentioned the Young Dark Emu book um, by Bruce Pascoe. And at that point, uh, there was the beginnings of a, of a discussion and a debate around that book um, beginning. Uh, and we decided to include it um, because you know, we the, the book is out there, the publisher hadn't withdrawn it, it's presented at history and therefore truth. But I did want to flag that there is debate around that book at the moment. Um, a recent, like a Sydney Morning Herald article uh, reported, uh, talked about a new book called Farmers or Hunter-Gatherers, The Dark Emu Debate um, by Sutton and Walsh. And the, the, the basic fact of it is that they are querying um, some of the claims in Bruce Pascoe's work. 
Bruce Pascoe has actually welcomed the controversy, according to several other articles uh, in The Guardian um, and other uh, newspapers, which I'm going to put all the links to these in the show notes so that you can have a look at them. What I wanted to do at this point is just to say that the, the controversy, and there is some debate around the book, the Sydney Morning Herald reports that uh, there's a, they're, they're creating a dark emu series for, for um, ABC TV, which will still go ahead and in which they will address some of the queries that have been raised uh, by the new book. So I think it's, look, I think it's one of those things that always flags to me that history is one of those things. History is written by people. And mm. so history no matter how objective a person tries to be, always has a perspective. When you're writing any book, you make decisions about what to put in and what to leave out. Um, and of course, those decisions about what to put in and what to leave out shape the narrative and shape the shape the kind of the argument or the persuasiveness of whatever text it is you're writing. Um, and I think it's, it's always good to have healthy, robust debate around these kinds of things. As you say, you've got a whole stack of books in your library written you know however many years ago mm. from certain perspectives which now they're no that, longer appropriate and now you know, that we know more yeah, yeah yeah and so and it's only through these kinds of conversations and through different books being written that these sorts of things actually come up so that's all I wanted to say I just wanted to say I wanted to flag the debate we have included that um in the true stories episode of the Your Kids Next Read podcast, which is episode seven, along with a whole bunch of other books. Um, and I just wanted to say that obviously, you know, with the ongoing nature of that debate, I wanted to say that this conversation is taking place. And I think it's it comes upon all of us to, you know, acquaint ourselves with both sides of that conversation and, and follow it as it goes forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, uh, like I've just said, I'd really encourage all school library staff to look carefully at their historical, um, uh, I was going to say historical fiction, their historical non-fiction section in their libraries and weed out those books which are no longer um, appropriate or relevant or useful um, because it's something that I've had to do recently in a new school library, something I'd done at previous school libraries. And I think The Story of Australia by Don Watson is a really good one to put into that space now. So, yeah, great. Thank you, Al. Um, and my final book is, <laughs> we are now segueing into humour, it is Cam <laughs> Hessling, Vampire Hunter by Rich Moyer. One pig's perilous journey to find purpose and friendship. And for, <laughs> it's, it's really, really funny. I've only read half of it, but it's a great one. It's a graphic novel which all of my children really enjoy. I will read you the blurb on the back. Definite one for um, middle primary lovers of graphic novels. Ham Hessling has always been the gentle odd pig out in his family of foolhardy monster hunters. Now that all the family daredevils have met their ends leaping before looking, it's down to Ham to carry on the Hessling legacy. Reluctantly, he sets out on his first assignment to hunt a dangerous vampire. But Ham soon learns that people aren't always what they seem and that you need a good team around you to help save your bacon. So it's a really good one. Uh, it's a disgusting <laughs> publication. First book by Rich Moyer, who is well known as an award-winning animator and cartoonist. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, I have got a book here this week by the, the fabulous Samantha Wheeler, um, who we both 
know. I think you know better than I do. I've only met her at a thing one time. Um, We spent some time together in the Sundays, actually, at the um, literary festival there, which was, you know, there's worse places to be than Mackay, (laughs) let me tell you. Um, But she has a new book out called Devils in Danger. And um, I'll just read you the blurb on the back. It's out through University of Queensland Press, UQP. 11-year-old Kalani thinks school is boring. She'd rather be exploring the wilderness around her Tasmanian hometown or helping her hairdresser mum. When strange things start to happen, ear-splitting screams in the dead of night and missing items found under the house, Kalani is too busy solving the mystery to do schoolwork. Before long, she discovers the culprit, a wild Tasmanian devil, denning under the house. When rumours about dangerous devils begin spreading, Kalani is determined to protect her precious visitor. But can she convince an entire town these wild creatures are worth saving? Um, It's another example of the way that Samantha brings her absolute love of animals into just really well-written kind of adventure stories for kids. And this one would be a middle grade adventure story. It's part of um, a little kind of series that she does, one is Mr. Cassowary, Wombat Warriors, Turtle Trackers. So there's if your kid is interested in eco stuff, is interested in animals, or is just interested in a really fun, you know, adventure story, um, I think you could do a lot worse than a Samantha Wheeler story. Would you not yeah. agree with me? Oh, absolutely. Our year fours this term use um, some of Sam Wheeler's books. They are looking at wildlife in Australia and they move towards um, halfway through the term. Everybody in year four chooses one of that particular um, series from UQP by Sam Wheeler and they then all read one of those wildlife stories. Sam Wheeler is amazing a delightful person her books are incredibly well written they just there's a real warmth to them Uh, she's excellent for author visits and just so highly recommended my girls have adored everything she's ever written um and this wildlife series i think has been a real game changer in a lot of australian schools around that year four five level we certainly use them at st aidan's in year three and four english extension and i'm now at st peter's and i was so pleased to see they were also wide used there. Fantastic. All right. So speaking of libraries and speaking of books, which we were, of course, as we do, um, how's my segue going so far? Yeah, really <laughs> nice. I'm just having a little giggle here. Your segue's gorgeous. We are going to um, move on to our bingo question for this week. And Megan, we are going to talk about book week, mm, yeah, the dreaded we book week. Yeah, the dreaded book week. Yeah, that's right. Um, the dreaded and the much-loved book week. So our bingo question this week is around how, what is book week, how do schools celebrate it, and as parents, like, what the actual is it about? So I'll start off by just saying that I, as I have said a few times, I'm at a brand-new school. I'm at St Peter's Lutheran College, which is a, my old school as well, which is exciting. And I'm new to the school, and so I have the chance to re- imagine what book week looks like there and perhaps do something a little bit differently to what I have done in the past and it's really made me contemplate um 
how I celebrate book week. So for those listening out there who are perhaps parents with young children and are just coming up to their first book week, let me tell you a little bit about it. Um, Book week has been organised by the Children's Book Council of Australia since 1945 and it is the one week, it's a glorious week in the Australian calendar where schools and bookshops and um, public libraries celebrate books and Australian children's authors and illustrators. It's probably my favourite week of the year, but I was looking through old blog posts and I also realised that it's also my most um, dreaded week of the year. (laughs) A lot of Panadol is swallowed and a lot of chocolate is eaten. And on our shared um, family calendar with the beekeeper, I've called it Be Kind to Megan Week. Um, He then informed me that he would be pollinating almonds with bees in Mildura during book week, so won't even be here to be kind to Megan. but maybe it's best he's away. So it's one of those weeks that is a lot of work for school library teams, but it's well worth doing it because it's the library's chance to shine. So the way I've sort of reimagined it or just sort of I've, I guess I've taken a good hard look at what I do and what I can do better and what I maybe could do less of because it's not useful anymore. So my focus with Book Week is always on celebrating Australian children's authors and illustrators like you, Alison Tate. Um, <laughs> I like focus me. on the short Yeah, like you. I focus on the short list and I focus on the notables list and I really try and um, bring those books into um, the front of mind for the children and for the teachers that I work with. I want those books to shine. So I use the notables and the shortlist and I really look at that. I do run book week competitions and um, I, I I love book week competitions because they sort of um, start the excitement. So this year in my school, I'm encouraging um, children to make a, a book nook and I might put a photo of the one that Pudster, who's 13, has made on in the show notes somewhere. Um, a book nook is like a little, I don't know how to explain it. It's in the Ipswich District Teach Librarian Book Week book, which a lot mm. of you would know about if you're educators. Um, it's like a little thing that goes in a shelf. I can't explain it. It's called a book nook, okay? Anyway, okay. we're making them as our competition because the theme for book week this year is old worlds, new worlds, other worlds. And so these little book nooks are like little um alleyways in like a little laneway on a bookshelf into another world they're beautiful so I think that book week competitions um, build up excitement around book week I also do displays for book week and I'm in a few different Facebook groups um, for school library teams one of them run by the wonderful Madison uh, who I know really well and lots of people have been sharing photos of their book week displays in some of those groups I do do book week displays and massive shout out to my library technician, Anna Malta, at this point because she's already started some really fabulous displays. But I'm actually not a fan of going too over the top with book week displays. I like to do what I call micro displays, which um, I often build with the children. I, I will certainly do, and Anna's certainly doing some displays around um, the shortlisted books and the theme, but we don't tend to do a great big static display that then stays up all year because I don't think that that is purposeful or engages the child necessarily and they take so much time. And it's you and I talked about this before. It's about doing what you can do in the amount of time that you've got. And I've been 
um, staying at work really late into the evenings since I've started my new job and that's not sustainable for anybody and um, we need to do what we can do in the time that we've got. So I do do displays but I make sure that I build those with the children in mind and make sure they're engaging. Um, I also have a dress-up day where we dress up as our favourite book week, uh, our favourite book character and I spend a lot of time in library classes and writing notes to the parents in the newsletter about the fact that this is a celebration of books. It is not a celebration of Disney characters (laughs) or Marvel. Yeah, so I I really try to encourage that. Um, And our book week dress-up days at St Peter's support the Indigenous Literacy Foundation and the Pajama Foundation, and I'm an ambassador for the Pajama Foundation. So our book week dress-up day is um, very much about um, raising money so that other um, people, children, young people, can experience the wonder of books and of literacy. We make it very non-competitive, so I don't have a big book week um, parade or I don't have competitions because I just like everybody to enjoy being a book character for the day. So that's sort of the way I'm looking at book week this year. And, of course, I'm having author visits, which are a really big part of my book week. And I would like to invite you, I'm going to segue to you, to talk a little bit about um, your experience as an author going in for book week visits. All right, let's talk about that. But let's have a look at this from two perspectives because um, as an author, I love book week. Like I love book week. I, it's the busiest time of the year for me, generally speaking. I'm away, I'm visiting schools, I'm talking to thousands of kids and I absolutely love it because I love the celebration of, <clears throat> of books. Of, of You know, it's 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 kind of the one week of the year where, the, yeah. where books are at the forefront of everything and I think that it's amazing. As a parent... However, <laughs> as, as a parent who is a non-crafty parent, like like really non-crafty parent, a book week, particularly when the boys were in primary school, was just like this just burden of horror, absolute horror, um, because it was just like that thing of I had the I had book boy who like he wanted to be Sherlock Holmes in grade one, you know, <laughs> and I'm having to rustle around all of my friends saying, has anyone got a you know, deer stalker? <laughs> It's <laughs> doing all that. Um, but I just, my biggest tip, I just want to put this out there as a parent of, you know, boys, girls, whatever. My best tip for book week is to get yourself a cloak. Yeah. Because it, so it's a one-off investment. Make sure it's big when they're in grade one. Um, because under that cloak, you can be 17,000 different characters you know, you the can. cloak goes with everything. You can be a hobbit. You can be Will from Rangers Apprentice. You can be Quinn from the Mapmaker Chronicles. You can be Ash from the Mapmaker Chronicles. You can be Maven from the Maven mm. and Reeve Mysteries. Get yourself a cloak and you will never, ever be short of a book week costume. And if all else fails, because I also had Book Boy Junior who hated dressing up and, you know, never, ever wanted to do any of that stuff, Find yourself a selection of sporting hero books, soccer, football, cricket, and get yourself into a uniform and Bob's your uncle. Absolutely. So that's my tip as a parent. As an author, oh, go nuts. There is absolutely nothing better than going to a school in book week and everyone being dressed up. Like it it is a crazy kind of a day because kids in costumes 
are like a hilarious audience. Like they just, there's something about being in an outfit that just makes them lose their tiny minds in some way. Um, <laughs> so they can be a little, it gets a little bit, you know, unruly at times. Um, but it's just so fun because you can, they're, they're so into it. They love it. And, you know, when they're all together and you're just, you're up the front and you're doing your thing and there's like a hundred kids looking back at you and there's cloaks and there's ears and there's, you know, feather boas and there's, you know, all this sort of stuff. It's, it's just amazing and I love it. Um, what I think an author talk does any time of the year, book, book, book week, anytime, whatever, I think one of the things that, because um, I've been doing them for a long time now, it's just that realisation at some point, you see this kid sitting there looking at you and there's this realisation in their eyes at some point in your talk where they go, wait a minute, you're, you're like someone's mum and, and you wrote, wait a, wait a minute, and you wrote these books, you know what I mean? It's like they bring this connection together and you talk yeah. about where your ideas come from and you talk about how they can have ideas for stories and you talk about, you know, how it all comes together and they, they leave wanting to write books like you leave them they want to read they want to write they want to make up their own stories they understand that it's possible i think mm. that's the, probably what the gift of the author talk is is a reality that books come from somewhere they come from this person that's standing in front of you who looks like you know looks like their mum and it's possible and yeah, i think that that's just, what it does it really does i just um cannot book um, author talks are something that need to be budgeted for in schools, but I they are so worth it because they just bring books to life. And I have seen some children just talk for years about authors that they have had in their school. And if you are a parent out there and you are involved in a PNC and your school doesn't have author visits for book week or any time of the year, you know, get on board with trying to, I've seen some great action and fundraising happen with school PNCs. I've had um, parents who have, as their their donation to the school each year. They have paid for an author visit. Author visits are the bomb diggity as far as I'm concerned. And they're funny too because, like, I obviously, like, I, um, I have visited a lot of the local schools in my area and, you know, over various years and various times and I will be, you know, somewhere and one of the boys will introduce me to some new friend that they've got or whatever and this friend will go, you came to my school. You came and talked about you came and talked about your books at my school. They remember. Yeah, they, they do. like it it's a really memorable thing for them. You know, it's something out of the ordinary in a school day and they remember. So they do. uh yeah, book week. Love it. And also hate it, but love it. That's exactly right. Yeah. Double-edged sword. <laughs> Double-edged sword. All right. So speaking of writing for kids, because that's something I do talk a lot about in my um in my look at my segues, I'm so impressed with myself today. Um, in my author talks, I probably shouldn't point them out, should I? That's sort of like I'm ruining the effect. Oh, look, we're never, we're not claiming to be professional. No, <laughs> which is a good thing that we're not claiming that. Um, my quick tips this week are actually about um, is, is writing for kids, and it's about how to write funny stories because, as we know. If there's one thing that kids love to read, particularly as sort of like grade three, grade four, grade five, those sort of age groups, is funny stories. And learning to write your own funny story is is a joy. And I say this, I actually say this with some kind of um, lived experience because uh, a couple of years ago. I remember this. Do you remember this? A couple of years yeah, ago, 
I was invited by Adrian Beck, who writes funny stories, um, and Sally Rippon, who also writes funny stories, to um, to submit a story for an anthology. So it was the second uh, Total Quack Up, uh, which is um, it's an anthology that they create in support of Dimmick's children's charities. And this one was Total Quack Up again, so it was the second one. So Adrian contacted me and he said to me, um, I'd really like you to write a funny story for this for this um, anthology. And I, and I was like, um, you know what, I'd really love to, but I don't know if I can. I've never written a funny story. <laughs> Goes, and I remember what? your children were, the boys were a bit like, mm, don't think you can do that. No, the, I said to the boys, I've got to write a funny story. And they went, oh, good luck with that. Because I don't, I like, I, I love stories with humour and all of my books have humour, but an actual sit down to write a funny story experience, like not what I, I'd never done it. So I sat down and I wrote this story and then I gave it to the boys and I'm like, do you reckon this is funny? <laughs> 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 and they both read it. And they went, actually, you know what, it's okay. And I thought, well, that's high praise. It's that probably, is high praise. It's probably hilarious. And so <laughs> I sent it off to Adrian and said, yes, I will be in your in your anthology. Um, and so that was fun. But anyway, you should totally have a look at that. If you'd like to see my, my attempt at a funny story, go nuts. Total quack up again. Um, but I also asked Adrian to write a, a post for me, for my blog, which was about is for kids on how to write funny stories. Um I should have actually got him to do it before I tried to write my own. But anyway, that's, that's what we do. So uh, I'm going to put the, the link in the show notes, but you'll also find it on uh, my blog at alisontake.com. It's just called how to, for, you know, Writing for Kids, How to Write Funny Stories. So it's actually a really funny post. It's called How to Write Funny Stories and Dominate at Life because that's, how Ad- that's pretty much how Adrian runs his life. Um, now, his number one tip for writing funny stories is to reveal your deepest, darkest secrets and use them in your stories. Um, and as you said, the thing about writing is that you can pretend that you just made it all up when secretly it's based on reality. So his tip is to think of the most embarrassing things that have ever happened to you. Remember how they made you feel, <laughs> the truth, all of the horror, and then exaggerate. So make it even worse, make the whole situation even more embarrassing. And that's going to give you a fantastic, um, you know, idea for your story. He said, don't be too cool for school. You have to mm. basically like, um, you know, he's like, funny stories don't get the praise that other stories get. Abandon all ambitions to win prizes. You'll never be seen as a literary genius, but that's okay because that means you can loosen up. So he says, you know, embrace sound effects. I think that's the whole thing with 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 any kind of writing, but particularly with this kind of writing, is you have to you have to be brave enough to just put it on the page. You know, even if you think it's ridiculous and absolutely embarrassing, put it on the page because. If you put it on the page, chances are, and if you put it on a, on the page with abandon, like no restraint, don't be, if you hold back, people will be able to tell and it won't be as good. Um, then he says, the last tip that I'm going to share here, there's actually 10 in this, but I'll, the last tip I'm going to share is to trust your first reaction. Like once you've read something over and over again, you can begin to forget that it's funny. You start mm. questioning yourself, is this joke actually funny? <laughs> Am I really funny? They're not helpful. You have to basically, like, if you thought it was funny when you first wrote it down, then it's funny. 
you have to accept that you're funny and go with that. I remember I went to a, um, a screening of a Ben Elton movie one night and um, there was a Q&A thing at the end of it and, you know, we were asking questions and I, I had to ask a question because I can't help myself, right? That's what I do. So I put my hand up and I said to him, do you know it's funny when you're writing it? Like, right. do you know it's funny or do you have to wait to see if the audience laughs to know it's funny? And he said, if I waited for the audience, I'd be waiting two <laughs> years because that's how long movies take to be made. He said, you have to have an idea that it's funny when you put it on the page. And if you're laughing, chances are someone else will laugh as well. So those are my tips. How to, well, actually, that's they're not. Great. They're Adrian's. But let's also shout out to Adrian, who has a new book out, uh, actually came out, I think, last week called Stop the Dad Jokes, uh, which is, you know, pretty much on brand for Adrian because dad yeah. jokes are pretty much what he does. Um, so it's written by Adrian Beck. It's illustrated by Simon Griner. I'm still waiting for my book mail copy, so that's all I'm going to say about it right now, Adrian, if you're listening. Um, I also don't have one, Adrian, if you're listening. <laughs> this is Basically, this podcast is just going to turn into us demanding books for people, right? Um, but it's called Stop the Dad Jokes, and it will be funny because, dad, I mean, I'm sorry, but I love a dad joke. Dad jokes are too. funny. And I reckon it's going to be great. So I think if you're looking for something for Father's Day, which is coming up, you know, at some point in the not too distant future, then I cannot see why Stop the Dad Jokes would not be an ideal gift for Father's Day. Brilliant. Um, speaking of funny, I saw Tim mention the other night and my neighbour. Um, oh, you're name dropping him again. I well, mate, it gets better. Oh, um, he, it gets better. Um, he, my neighbour, is is friends with him, and we had I drinks know. with Tim Minchin oh. after the show. Oh. I sat on a couch with Tim Minchin, and oh. he, I can report, is funny in real life as much as he is. Well, on you stage. mentioned a couple of episodes ago that there was a possibility that you might be having drinks with Tim Minchin, yes, and I had to like stuff down my you know, rage, my rage and envy at that point. And now it's even worse. Did you mm. talk about me? Did you tell him how funny I oh, am? Oh, look, I did. I handed over a copy of your book. No, I didn't. Um, but uh, look, you know, <laughs> not? the second uh, time I have had drink, drinks with Tim Minchin. I got a photo last time. This time I was like too like, oh, it's just embarrassing. I didn't get a photo because, you know, it's just it's embarrassing, the poor man. But he's delightful and so funny and so down to earth and so self-deprecating. So, yeah, speaking of funny. I can't believe you give him a book i can see maven and reeve the musical it'll be awesome <laughs> absolutely oh my gosh what was i thinking what were you thinking what a missed opportunity i'll take <laughs> all right come on you've got some quick tips okay. for us haven't you? i do my quick tips are around book week educator costumes or school staff costumes because i like everybody in the school to dress up for book week including the groundsmen the you know the tuck shop people i like everybody to dress up and these are my three quick tips See it as reading role modeling. If you really don't want to do it because it's just not your thing, just see it as part of your job, but also you being a really great reading role model, which is why I want everybody to do it. I talk ad nauseum about educators and school staff being reading role models. And look, like I've said, book week is one of those times in the school year where books get to sparkle and I want teachers, support staff, ground staff and classroom volunteers to up the reading ante. So do it for the kids, okay? My second tip is keep it simple. Like you said, a cloak. A cloak can be so many things. A basic prop or a generic costume can quickly be tied into any number of books. And I have done a blog post 
post and I will link that in the show notes and I've got lots of ideas for super simple props. And my third tip is go as something that your class or the kids that you are in contact with will connect with you. One of my ground staff at St. Aidan's once came as Bob the Builder. Totally oh. perfect. Or, um, you know, I've just received the second book in your series, the Maven and Reeve series, The Wolf's Hell, um, and, you know, it flung me straight back into that world of castles and knights and ladies-in-waiting. And I know at St Aidan's that lots of our um, grade fives and sixes had read your first Maven and Reeve mystery and lots of school book clubs around the country are looking at your books. And so if you've studied a book by anybody um, maybe tie that your costume into that, or if you want to introduce a new book series to your class or the kids that you work with, do that. So, so go with something that the kids are going to either connect with you or something that you can really advertise to the kids. It's a great opportunity, guys. Have I hooked you all in yet? So that's my three quick tricks. <laughs> I'm hooked. I've got a cloak. I'm ready to go. Wait, I could ready. have a photo in it right now, but I would probably not be a great look with my tracksuit. <laughs> <laughs> Although it does go with everything. That's a great joy of a cloak. Covers it up is. everything. All right. Uh, well, let's wrap up because, look, we're even vaguely on time this week as opposed to last time when I think we rambled on for decades. Oh, mate. Um, so what are you up to this week? What's going to be happening? Um, well, continuing on my food faffing, I um, was at – I've been doing an agritourism course with the beekeeper and I um, – managed to get off the mushroom farmer some dehydrated and ground mushroom powder, um, which I opened in the car on the way to Tim Mitchin the other night with my neighbours in the car and we all had a massive sneezing fit because I didn't quite realise how pungent it was going to be and it went right up my nose and I, I had a really bad sneezing attack and the whole car was very mushroomy but I am going to faff around with that mushroom what powder. are you going to do with that um well I am a big fan of flavored salts so I do a really really good onion and garlic salt I'm just saying it's 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 amazing like I could sell that stuff and okay. it's um, and I'm going to make some mushroom salt. I'm going to um, mix some of my mushroom powder in with some of my molten sea salt and make some mushroom salt. I'm also going to put it in some spaghetti bolognese. Great way to hide veggies with the kids, but not that I'm a fan of having to hide veggies. But I just love that. I think um, I actually don't know how to pronounce it. I think it's umami. Yes, it mm. is umami. That mushroomy flavor is that real umami smoky flavor. So I'm going to faff this weekend with my mushroom powder. Gosh, I'll be looking forward to hearing about about that. You'll have to send me some of your onion and garlic salt that you could oh, be selling. It's so good. And then I'll let you know if like I can be like a beta tester for you. You, like, can you be know my if tester. the market's ready. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well I will be organizing myself to launch the Wolf's Howl. I figured it's really time I got serious about thinking what I'm gonna do about that. Um, we are preparing ourselves technically for the HSC trials, which are <gasps> Oh <clears throat> gosh. Well, they're supposed to be starting soon, but we no one's entirely sure. Everything's up in the air, so we're not, not sure what's going on with that at the moment. Um, and the footy season is on hold. So I have, you know, a 14-year-old without his usual six hours Ooh. of exercise outlet. So he I'm needs trying to, to run or something. Well, he does. I'm just – I'm trying to – what I have to try and do is keep him off his screens and get him outside. Mm. And I, I find these children fascinating. He's either 175 miles an hour and just, you know, rampaging around the place or he's just prone, you know. Mm -hmm. 
with a screen. I'm finding the same thing. And not moving. And the other thing that's really fascinating, I was talking about this with my mum the other day. I don't know if it's an age thing or what it is, but it's like if he's not exercising, it's like he moves in slow motion. It's like like he's got like a slow cam on him. Every time I start asking him to do something, there's, there's like, hey, there's a delay, but then there's just like, it, it's like he moves at half pace. I, I can't even, it's it's the most infuriating thing that I've ever seen. It, it's, I've heard I'd, that about teenage boys. I look forward to that. I don't think he's even doing it on purpose, but it's, mm. wow, it is like, it's like I'm living in slow motion every time I ask him to do something. Anyway, <laughs> that's where we go. All right. So thank you once again for joining us, uh, or you will find all of our show notes at yourkidsnextread.com. I'm Alison Tate. We, I will be back with Megan Daly next week for another episode. Um, you can find the books that we talked about on our Booktopia page. Look for Your Kids Next Read um, on Booktopia and they should all be there because we've got the fabulous Justine who organises that for oh, us. I love Thank Justine. you, Justine. Don't know what we'd do without Justine. Um, I think we should call her the library monitor because oh, that's, that's don't you think lovely. She kind that's of like lovely. she feels like the library monitor. She's she's like one of those fantastic grade six girls who just gets stuff done. Um, all right, and we will see you uh, for episode fourteen next week. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks.